everybody. Welcome to the Android Central Podcast. This is episode 397. We are so close to 400. It makes me so happy. I am Russell Holly, uh, running the ship this week as uh, close as I can to being in charge of anything without things burning to the ground. Uh, and joined this week by Jerry. Say hi to the crowd, Jerry. Hi to the crowd, Jerry. And Alex, who I How's have not going? actually been on a podcast with in a while. I know, yeah. I was actually on our Ether podcast a couple of weeks ago, which I, I was kind of racking my brains trying to figure out when the last podcast before that um, was actually uh, I was actually on. But uh, I'm back now. It's good to be back. I always feel bad about complaining about travel. Like, uh, you know, I spent the last two weeks back and forth between San Francisco, and I'm like, man, my travel schedule this week has been really rough. And then I think about your travel schedule, and then I don't feel like <laughs> complaining anymore because your travel schedule is well, almost the, the, the always good thing. Worse. The good thing is that the next couple of months are going to be pretty quiet, so there's not going to be a whole lot going on, and we can pretty much just relax, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. Definitely nothing going on at the end of September or October. It's Yeah, these are the easy days. Mm, for sure. Yeah. So uh, let's let's just dive into it real quick this week. We've had a lot of stuff happen. I guess we'll start uh, with the beginning of the week, uh, Qualcomm. Uh, jumped into San Francisco with a whole bunch of people and uh, did not show us a smartwatch, but instead showed us a updated processor for what will now be the next generation of smartwatches. Uh, it's the Snapdragon 3100 uh, Wear Edition. It is, uh, you know, just this is going to be it. This is going to be what's in watches moving forward, uh, which is going to be kind of weird for some people because we just had a, a whole host of Android Wear or Wear OS watches uh, announced uh, at IFA. Um, and very few of those are, are going to be anything but the Snapdragon 2100. But moving forward, uh, probably closer to the end of the year, we will start hearing announcements for new Wear OS watches with this new, I say new, I, I'm going to keep saying updated instead of new, uh, processor We'll get to it. it in a little bit, I guess. But there's a lot in this um, chip, we'll call it that, platform, if you really want to call it that, that isn't exactly new, right? Yeah, I'm, I, I'm keep. You know, I keep forcing myself to call it updated instead of new because uh, the the big thing here uh, is that this is this is the same size and very similar silicon to the Snapdragon twenty one hundred. This is a twenty eight nanometer process uh, using the same modem, the same core architecture. Uh, what has been added here is a a DSP, a digital signal processor, to help with uh, kind of sensor data management from all of the different sensors on the watch and a new. Uh, ultra low power coprocessor, which uh, which Qualcomm was was quick to make a big deal out of. They had these uh, these little display tokens showing off this uh, seven nanometer coprocessor, this very tiny thing that uh, they they put on top of a dime or put on top of a penny to to show you kind of the this little rectangle. And they were like, "This is the you know this is the the thing that we've added. It's this great big deal." But what they didn't talk about was that this seven nanometer coprocessor is is uh, a part of this much larger twenty eight nanometer. Uh, you know, system on a chip. Yeah, and uh, that 28 nanometer system on a chip is effectively, you know, with the exception of the DSP, basically the 2100, which is basically a Snapdragon 400 from more than five years ago at this point. Yeah, yeah. So this, you know, it, it's a, it's by modern standards, kind of a big power hungry processor. It's and ancient, the, the, yeah. By, yeah. yeah. So that you know the the big deal here, you know, Qualcomm's argument is that by adding this coprocessor, this this uh, this you know not not like the not like a motion coprocessor in in a Motorola phone from days past, but uh, this this coprocessor is this kind of ultra low power thing that takes over 
when the big processor is put to sleep. So like when your phone, when your watch shifts from that like bright color mode to kind of the dim down mode, uh, but still is keeping time and giving you like a step counter or something like that, that, uh, that, that lower power mode is where this coprocessor would take over and handle things like uh, GPS if you're, uh, you're running or, or cycling or something. Uh, it would handle notifications, uh, you know, the basic, very simple things that are not kind of the full app uh, experience that you get from the watch. And so you see some uh, impressive performance enhancements when you're doing stuff in the background. So like if you're if you're running for a long period of time or you're cycling for a long period of time, your watch is not like on doing stuff, but it's still processing GPS data and things like that. So that kind of stuff is handed off to this this coprocessor. So if you're if you're using a smartwatch to track your activity, then the Snapdragon 3100 will be much better about battery life when it's doing those things. But for actually looking down at your watch and doing stuff, touching the watch and, and interacting with the apps, that's still using this the larger processor, which, as as you pointed out, Alex, is is now a, a largely five year old processor that's kind of power hungry and kind of big and and you know not all that exciting. And I guess the, the logic there is they can produce this cheaply. You know, it's partly an economic argument. They can produce it way more cheaply than they could, say, a more up to date design with I don't know, like a an A53 or an A55 or whatever um, current replacement for that chip that they might want to make with a more efficient manufacturing process. Uh, that's a big part of you know having smartwatches that are actually affordable. But at the same time, uh, a realization that actually the times when you're actually going to be using those four cores are hopefully going to be much less because uh, a lot of these other tasks can be picked up by the other uh, coprocessor. Um, that's That's, I guess, their argument there. On the other hand, you look at what Apple's brought out in the past couple of days and what Samsung is doing now with um, you know, Cortex-M and a more efficient manufacturing process on that side. And it's hard not to look at this and think it's kind of two, step for- two steps forward and one step back in terms of just how, how advanced it is overall. It's yeah, ridiculous. I mean, when you, you talk about the power handling for the new Samsung uh, Galaxy Watch is is really good. The the power handling for it is a lot of stuff. Apple Watch's power handling when it comes to doing a lot of stuff has always been excellent, but has been even better in the past couple of generations. And it's it's there's going to be a noticeable difference between uh, overall Wear OS performance and what we get from these other platforms. I feel like that's still going to be kind of a thing, and and a big part of that is going to come down to this this kind of aging overall architecture that's being used. Uh, now they. It was a big part of this presentation was making sure that we knew that, you know, that the to expect, you know, anywhere from three hours to 12 hours kind of overall battery improvement, depending on how you use your watch and, and what the, you know, what the overall uh, kind of battery uh, capability is inside of the watch. Um, but to expect that to be kind of the baseline that they're yeah. working really closely with uh, with Google to make sure that Wear OS is super optimized for this platform and working with their hardware vendors to make sure that every version of a watch that has a 3100 has on top of these, you know, kind of standard power modes, like an ultra low power mode uh, to, to be able to function, you know, for, for a week uh, where it's just showing you the watch information. So if you get to 10% battery remaining, you can flip this thing into an ultra low power mode and it still actually does something on your wrist, uh, you know, for, for more than a day mm-hmm. so that you can get several days of battery life out of it. But yeah, I, I feel like, you know, when we go to compare, you know, in six months, when we go to compare some of these, uh, you know, Wear OS watches 
uh, to the stuff, especially the stuff that Samsung just did with the uh, the Galaxy Watch, uh, but also the the Apple Watch. It's going to be kind of a hard sell. I, I'm concerned about. In a way, yeah. It, it, I think it does depend on how you use your watch, though. Not everyone is going to want to use um, an, an Apple Watch to take accurate or you know semi accurate heart rate readings. And on the Apple side, they're still only advertising. Uh, they call it up to 18 hours full day, 18 hours and a full day of use, which is a weird way to phrase it because that's not many how that's not how many hours there are in a day. Um, right. But on, on the Wear OS side, yeah, you're looking from going with the last generation of watches, you know, up to two days, maybe extending that in extreme cases to an entire week. So the priorities, I think, that there are different. Apple is obviously they have a huge advantage in silicon. They're pushing that with all these whiz bang features. With Wear OS, um, the approach is a bit more simplistic, maybe. And you're just chasing battery life with uh, these basic fitness features thanks to this new coprocessor. When Qualcomm, you know, they put on the presentation, I was just sitting here and, and was talking with Renee. And I keep, first of all, this is bad. I'm sorry. I'm going to come right out and say it. That you you have a, a chip that's, its basic design is the same as what you found in a cheap desire in 2013. That's just not good. Uh, and and it's you. You have to point the finger at Qualcomm, who is more than capable to build something that's, you know, equal to what Samsung is making. I'll leave Apple out of the picture here, but then Google enables it. I keep, I keep coming back to that line that we're working strongly with Google to optimize the platform for this processor. No, but Google, who is no. the who is the senior partner in that relationship? Though is right. it Qualcomm or is it? Is it, is it you know is it Qualcomm or is it Google? Is it Qualcomm that has to manufacture these, or is it Google that needs Qualcomm to manufacture these chips because they are solely reliant on Qualcomm for right uh, for I Wear mean, OS? It's just this. There's this leaves a bad taste in my mouth. This is going to be, you know, Russell hit it on the head when we have to compare products. None of these watches that come out next year with this chip, there's a lot of places they're going to fall behind Samsung's watches. And it's because of the processor. And that's a shame. It's worth pointing out that in, in the meantime, you know, the, the big criticism for Samsung's, uh, you know, tracker, you know, system, their wearables yeah. up until this past year had been that they didn't really work with all of Android. Right. Uh, you know, they, it was it was definitely a works best with a Galaxy, uh, you know, thing, which was good enough for Samsung, but not really good enough for the ecosystem. And that's changed. You know, I, I put... The uh, the Galaxy Watch on my uh, on my Pixel two and it installs uh, you know all of it's the same experience as as you know what's on my Note nine. Uh, Do you, you know, still there's, have there's some, a billion different uh, Samsung apps that you need to install just to to get that up it, and running? Or how does that? It's whole got set... two background things that it wants me to install. It you know you install the the gear manager thing and when you install right. the gear manager it says hey we need to install this you know kind of service notification thing. Right. Uh, to to act as the handoff there, so it's there are uh, there's still another step involved, but it's it's really not that bad once you get it set up. You know the the setup you never really have to go back and mess with any of that. Uh, and when once you get that installed, it's basically the same experience. The only caveat being, uh, you know, installing Watch Faces puts you through uh, the the app part of that is not great. Like you can look for it on your watch, and and it doesn't really feel any different when you're shopping on your watch. But if you're trying to shop through the Gear app on the Pixel 2, it, it almost looks like a web view for the Samsung yeah. App Store uh, inside of the uh, the Gear Manager app, which is just mm-hmm. a visually poor experience. But like, it's not 
it's not functionally poor. If I hit the install button, it installs just like if I were installing a Wear OS app, uh, you know, for for my tick watch. Uh, it just it just doesn't look great. But it's it is noteworthy that in in the time that it has taken Qualcomm and Google to to figure out this next you know iteration that isn't even it doesn't even seem like it's all that great to begin with. Uh, you know, Samsung has made sure that it is at least functional on on every Android phone. The other thing from this event was the uh, the hardware partners. Uh, we didn't get to see any actual consumer products. They had a they had a wear uh, reference design that was there for everyone to see, and they announced that there were several uh, you know hardware partners they were working with, and they were all the luxury brands. Uh, you know, obviously, we knew that a Pixel Watch wasn't coming, uh, but we uh, the the names were you know Fossil Group and Montblanc. Uh, and and you know one other brand and then a reference to this super secret thing that they were super hyped about they kept calling project stamina uh it was this this other watch they were excited to announce soon it it felt almost like they were disappointed that they weren't able to announce what it actually Mm. was at this event Mm. Uh, but the uh this this thing that they were calling project stamina was this other watch that was like totally focused on fitness and battery life Uh, but they were they weren't talking about who the vendor was or, or anything like that Interesting. And I mean, based on the time frame of, of what you guys saw earlier this week, you would pretty much imagine we're not going to be able to buy anything with this chip probably until early 2019, right? So they said that the Mont Blanc uh, Summit 2 was going to be available in mid-October. So we we may have at least one Snapdragon 3100 watch before the end of the year, but the Mont Blanc Summit uh, was a pretty expensive watch. You know, it wouldn't shock me that the Summit 2 was you know, was, was hovering around the thousand dollar range, uh, for, you know, for what it is. Cause Montblanc is a luxury brand. They don't care about the, uh, the kind of, uh, low end fitness stuff. They are, their, their customer base is very different right. from the people who are buying a, a galaxy watch or, or an Apple watch. Reason I ask uh, about so, that partly is because, um, we're expecting a new phone from LG very soon. LG, I've asked them in the past, are you still interested in smartwatches? Their answer has always been yes. I asked the same question to uh, Huawei CEO Richard Yu in uh, in a meeting a couple of weeks ago in Berlin, and he his answer was basically yes, but we need better silicon. Um, so we have a couple of the traditional Android brands there that maybe you know, have releases coming up, and if the time frame for at least one of these watches is mid October, then we might have a, a couple of surprises in there from more traditional techie brands in addition to the, the fashion brands that were at the uh, event this week. I think that would be cool. I imagine it has to kill people at Huawei that. They can't use, you know, they can't develop their own chip for an Android Wear watch. I also asked him about that, and uh, he was like, I can't answer that question. So, <laughs> you know, they, they, could, they could do this, at least. <laughs> it's a shame. They, they have the capability to, you know, working with, um, uh, you know, TMSC, the partner there, uh, and that you know, they've already had a, a huge experience with um, making chips for high-end smartphones obviously mm-hmm. it's a different kind a different kind of scale they need to work to they probably could if they put their mind to it but i think from from a huawei perspective is it worth putting all that engineering effort it's the same problem as qualcomm on google right qualcomm obviously doesn't want to put that much money into developing smartwatch chips uh, huawei has even less incentive to do that if it can lean on both qualcomm and google um you know sticking their necks out to, to create chips to begin with so so let's why does samsung do it does samsung sell enough let's call them wearable devices i you know i don't know what else they could use that chip in 
does Samsung sell enough to justify the money they've spent to develop and manufacture this this silicon? I think they have to compete with Apple. Uh, well, that, but also Samsung has fabs, and um, yeah. Huawei doesn't, and Google doesn't. They have their own uh, infrastructure that they can use to manufacture these things, which yeah. surely makes a big difference. Oh, I'm sure. I, I, but I, I circle back to, you know, at least half the cost is in engineering. And mm-hmm. it was a lot of money spent. And I just, I don't, I know the Apple Watch is supposed to be quote unquote popular, but I can't, uh, you know, outside of an airport, I don't think I've ever seen anybody wearing one. So it's not like wearables are the new thing that everybody has to have. So it always puzzles me, you know, what drives companies to spend money in a new market? Yeah, I I think a big part of that is just, you know, Samsung has a a compulsion to compete. The the big deal with, you know, with Samsung is that it, you know, it, it competes with in as many spaces as it knows that it can, right? Yeah. So, like, we see this with our, with their software approach, too, where we see, uh, you know, I think most of us would agree that, you know, that when we see a Samsung version of an app that is clearly a ripoff of a Google app, we kind of look at it and go, why? Yeah. Uh, and, and the answer is, you know, because they, they can, because they, they have the ability to. And their hardware approach, I would guess, probably isn't all that uh, dissimilar. I'm just, I guess I'm, I'm in the back of my mind, I'm hoping we see smart everything from samsung with bixby and it's using this small chip i don't know i just want to see him use it for more than a watch i mean Big, bixby on a watch is is still such a crapshoot right now if you yeah. watch our, our video review of, of the <laughs> galaxy watch and, and watch it all the way to the end and you'll uh you'll see some some outtakes there with, with oh Andrew. you left the oh awesome yeah do that uh, guys because so that's we, hilarious yeah we've uh we've got that in there also that that's not even the the most outlandish thing that we coaxed bixby into saying i think at one point andrew asked what the next what the year would be next year and uh this is you know no joke bixby came back with something about korean soap operas and k-pop becoming more popular globally (laughs) hey that's pretty cool though (laughs) no idea what what triggered that but yeah we we unfortunately didn't get that on camera but i think if you follow andrew on twitter he did tweet it out at one point so that that definitely happened that's so great. So yeah, it's you know I'm I'm hoping that we get uh, you know some some more excitement around these watches with maybe some features that are a little more interesting as as actual hardware vendors get involved. Uh, you know we we've seen some cool stuff uh, from from these watches uh, over the last couple months, even with the limitations of the twenty one hundred processor. So you know it's it's possible that with a coprocessor we'll you know we'll see some some new stuff coming out this year that could be interesting. I, I guess I was kind of expecting a little more. Maybe it's one of those things that what's coming next that we're going to be able to announce next spring, y'all are going to love. Mm, I don't know. It, it's, <laughs> it's a low-power processor that can run full-time and hardly use any battery, and you have Google engineering looking for ways to use it. Could be kind of cool. Maybe, but it's taken us two years to get to this point, and we still haven't really seen anything besides this new coprocessor. I'm I'm skeptical, but I guess I'm trying uh, at to least... end it on a high point. Damn it! <laughs> well, I, w- I was going to get to my own high point. So, uh, silver lining here. It means if you're currently thinking about one of the current Snapdragon Wear 2100 based watches, like the the absolutely gorgeous uh, Skagen Falster 2 that I saw uh, in Berlin a couple of weeks ago. Um, and you know, you just use your watch for basic notification stuff. You maybe don't care about um, battery life when you're, you know, using GPS for hours at a time. You know, go ahead and buy it. There's not that much different in the new watch outside of these extreme low power situations. Good point. 
Yeah, it, it. I think for people who just use their watch as a notification thing or something like that, that you're right. There's just not going to be a huge enough difference to to, you know, turn your nose up at at the watches that got announced at Eva, mm-hmm. especially if if they look nice enough that that's a thing that you know matters to you is the is the design. And for a lot of people, that is. I mean, people got really excited about the Skagen Falster too, uh, you know, just because it looks like such nice. a nice watch. Yeah. Watches are jewelry. Yeah, you can't forget that. All right. Well. Since we ended that on such a low note, <laughs> <laughs> no, come on. What well, it's you know the the high note. It's you know go out and buy a a twenty one hundred a wear twenty one hundred watch because yeah, be yeah, cheaper can... and it'll look great. So there we go. Well, yeah, I mean, it, and that is true. The stuff that's out right now is going to naturally come down in price. So I mean, there's there's definitely some some reason to be excited there. Uh, so I want to I want to shift gears real quick uh, to talk about the the other kind of big thing that happened this week, which was not. Not our typical wheelhouse, but Apple did their thing. Uh, by the time you listen to this, it won't have been yesterday. But then uh, we got uh, three new phones and a new watch. And kind of a lot of stuff that's kind of interesting, which I wasn't expecting. You know, Apple shifted entirely to uh, the the large, uh, you know, kind of tall phone uh, with, uh, with no fingerprint sensor. They're all in on Face ID. Uh, so all of their phones have uh, have the notch, uh, wireless charging across the entire spectrum. The uh, we, what are they? It's the the 10s, the 10s Max, and the 10R. Uh, and the the 10R comes in, I think, eight different colors or six different colors, mm-hmm. uh, and they all look really good. Just you know, vibrant, really nice looking colors. Uh, but but two things that kind of sh- stuck out with the phones. Uh, one is that there is no small phone. Like the the 10s is the only is the smallest of the yeah, three the, phones. The 10s is your small phone. It, yeah, and but it's you know it's notedly bigger than the small phones of of previous generations. You know, so it's it's really kind of fascinating uh, that they they kind of went all in on that. Uh, and the other thing was uh, was about the watch. They crammed a ton of stuff into this into this new Apple Watch. And the watch, I think, for a lot of people watching on the Android side, is maybe where the most envy was was coming from, right, Jerry? I guess it's it's hard to judge what you know the average Android fan likes and dislikes. Uh, I think sometimes that they're a little more vocal than they really mean to be, and that some of the things you read on the internet, especially the hatred towards a company like Apple, and and you know the the bitterness is driven by a little bit of jealousy, and they don't really mean it all. Uh, I liked what I saw. I'll have to be honest. I don't like big, tall phones with notches, but I like the direction Apple's going. It just seemed they nailed it this year. They did exactly what they wanted to do, and that's important for any company. Yeah, I mean, just a little bit of inside baseball when it comes to whether people are actually on the Android side or a little envious of uh, of the Apple Watch <laughs> announcement. Uh, number one post uh, from from a traffic perspective on 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 our sister site iMore today. Can you use an Apple Watch with your Android phone? <laughs> the yeah, number one telling. article and has been all day. So I tried to be gentle there, but I mean, come on. If you're listening to this, you know, people are people. We're all wired the same, and that's just how it is. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a neat thing. Uh, you know, the this watch uh, they they talked a lot about it being uh, thinner. Uh, as it sits on your wrist, but it, which is cool, but it's also uh, wider and taller uh, instead of the uh, the 38 and 42 millimeter options that were available with the previous generations of the watch. It's actually a 40 and 44, 
that are that are available, which actually puts those watches wider. Uh, you know, the the screen size and the the bezel size actually closer to the the watches that we normally see for for Wear OS uh, in in terms of size as it fits on your wrist. But they will be you know considerably thinner in the process. So that's probably going to be a pretty noticeable differentiator. And they still work with the existing straps that you might uh, own from previous um, the, the two previous sizes of Apple Watch, right? Yeah, yeah. It's uh, you know, so if you're you if you already had an Apple Watch, then your existing straps will work just fine. Uh, your previous chargers should also work just fine, uh, which caught me as a little bit by surprise. The the back of these are are a different uh, material, and they have some additional hardware in them. So I thought maybe the charging was going to be a problem. Uh, and Jerry, you actually had some thoughts about the the added hardware in the back because they added uh, <sighs> they added an echocardiogram uh, for for measuring more than just your heart rate. That's I, I I always wince at that. Uh I I have to see a doctor a lot. I mean, if you don't know I'm in a wheelchair, I have some health issues. And I know how dangerous it could be if I relied on a cheap and and I'll say cheap in a relative term piece of hardware to diagnose anything about my health. I always fear that some user, and and I made this clear when we were talking, I, I can't blame Apple because they did say at least a hundred times that this isn't something you should rely on. But people that buy products, they, they're not going to pay attention to that. They're going to think that the EKG reading they get from their watch is just fine and there's no problem. And I always worry that it's going to just kill somebody. Yeah, I mean, you know, you get the same... Uh, you know, a, a similar conversation when someone goes out and buys a, a $10 blood pressure cuff. Right. You know, the, the the cheapest blood pressure cuff that you can get at the the local gas station or whatever, the convenience store. <laughs> uh, you know, those are um, those are very different from the machine that your doctor uses to to get that information. So it's all the little uh, sensor on the back of your Galaxy S6 that you hold your finger over yeah. the LED. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you, you run into the the same thing there. And, and you know, I, I get that the. You know, Apple has done a lot of work to integrate its its hardware with uh, with like hospitals, uh, so that this data can be provided to doctors over time, uh, and that that probably has you know kind of a, a net positive being able to provide that information over time. Uh, but yeah, as as a you know, well, I stuck my finger on the side of my watch and waited for thirty seconds <laughs> and said I was healthy, so I don't really need to go to the doctor today. You know, that's I I hope that that isn't a serious take that people end up having. But you know that at least somebody will. You know, somebody that you know will do that. Somebody that I know will do that. It's certainly possible. Yeah, I mean, I guess it really depends on how Apple ends up marketing this long term. I don't think, you know, I'm not sure how many people use the the heart rate monitor thing unless they're super active anyway. Uh, You know, and 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 certainly not some of the more advanced heart rate monitor things like, you know, the the stuff that the Apple Watch does where it detects, uh, you know, wild variations in your heart rate yeah. Uh, when it doesn't seem like you're moving or something like that and says, you know, we read stories every once in a while where, you know, the Apple Watch saved my life because it said, hey, your heart rate's doing some crazy stuff. Maybe talk to a doctor. Uh, you know, I doubt that there are a ton of people who lean on mm. that instead of their medical professional. I I would hope that anybody that that is critical to their health does not do it. I just right. worry because people are dumb. Yeah, I mean it's it's a perfectly valid concern. Uh, I uh, I will say that you know when it comes to the phones, you know the you know homogenizing these was uh, kind of an interesting move. The uh, the the XR 
you know, be there or the 10 R becoming the, uh, the, the quote unquote cheap yeah. iPhone at $750. Uh, so now the, like the, the iPhone gap now is $750 for the least expensive version and $1,500, uh, for the, the XS max with 512 gigs of storage in it. And you know what? I'm going to call it now. That's your pixel three pricing. You think so? Between yep. seven hundred and fifty dollars and fifteen hundred, seven maybe seven hundred, not seven fifty for the the smaller one with the standard size memory, and then very close to fifteen hundred for the XL if they go higher than one twenty eight. Sure, I would say no it would probably way. be closer to no the way. Note Nine pricing schema for the high end because the Note Nine, the expensive version of the Note Nine, is still twelve hundred, and samsung's building all the parts inside the note 9 yeah but google is buying them from samsung to put in the pixel 3 xl i hear you but i'm not i'm not sure i agree i think we i think it's more likely we would see i i would buy you know between 700 and 1200 for a spread for the pixels i mean we'll have to see that'll be interesting i i just i've got the impression the past couple years that google is like you know google gives does not give an f they we can price this however we want we can price this just like an iPhone because our stuff is good. Yeah, well, I, I mean, on a, on a high level, that's true. But that yeah. Google's not going to do three different models this year. Or are oh, they? here they are. They or got are that they? secret one. That's right, the secret one that, <laughs> to hide. That's from, the fifteen hundred dollar right, one. It's, it's also a Roomba. One. That's right. <laughs> How could okay. I have been so foolish as to forget that? So a couple couple of things on this before we pivot into Pixel Three or Pixel Ultra or whatever. Um, yeah, I, I think from, from my perspective, kind of obvious they were just going to go for they were just going to lean completely into this notch design, this this taller design. Uh, the only thing that kind of makes me bristle every time I look at the 10R is just the amount of bezel around the outside, and I'm sure that's just a necessary evil given that it's an LCD and not an OLED. But something looking something about me uh, about that design just makes me look at it and think. Wow, this is like a ZTE phone or like an Oppo phone or something. From the front, it just has a lot of stuff around the screen before you get to the screen. It almost looks like an iPhone copy instead of a legit iPhone. Yeah, and it doesn't help that, you know, it they intentionally went with the lower cost LCD display, which is not a particularly high resolution either. Um, we keep hearing people say you're not going to really notice the resolution difference between the, the low end and the high end. And I kind of laugh at those people because... Yeah. We we hear that every year with the iPhones, and there is one hundred percent a difference when, it, especially mm-hmm. when it comes to like information density, like how much text can you put on a screen. Uh, you know the the resolution definitely matters. Uh, so yeah, I I'm not uh, you know as as pretty as those phones are from the back because the color options are just awesome. Oh, that blue, yeah, yeah, the the blue, the like all of the colors that I saw for it were just really great. I really wish that we had other vendors who were you know willing to go through all of those colors, and maybe this we year we'll get year. you know we'll yeah. get more because we did. I will say that like beyond the initial launch for a couple of manufacturers this year, we got some cool colors. The I, I actually was when I was in San Francisco, I was with the. Uh, Michael Fisher, Mr. Mobile, a bunch, and he was still rocking the uh, that that purplish pink uh, G7, mm-hmm. right? Uh, yeah, the, yeah, the rose, and that is such a nice looking phone. 
Uh, it's really just a, an incredible color. Uh, and we, we did get some cool colors from foam, from foam manufacturers this year, just not usually until after launch. And often not in the U.S., where everyone yeah, buys on carrier. The, the carriers want to stock the boring colors. So Huawei is the obvious example. They had the Twilight P20 Pro. We had a bunch of new colors that actually look really, really good at IFA as well, yep. in addition to the, the return of uh, leather-backed phones. So there are manufacturers out there that are doing crazy things with color and with materials. It's just maybe in the U.S. you don't tend to see them as much outside of Apple. Imagine if you could buy the Galaxy S9 in that sunset color HTC used on the U11. HTC did some cool colors this because year. Because that would, that they, they could not keep that in stock. Yep. It's a shame that the most beautiful phones are the ones nobody wants to buy. Yeah, and I'm hoping that we get some, you know, it would be cool if we got some some additional colors this year. I'm not holding out for a whole lot of hope for for colors from Google, especially after their, no. their kind of blue last year that I'm, I'm yeah. still grumpy about. I hate you. I, I, I think I you're hate gonna, you. Goodbye. <laughs> I'm, I'm done. <laughs> I think you're going to get black and white and that you're going to like it. That's going to be all there is. Uh, yeah. I will say on the, on the Pixel side, though, I, I disagree. I think there's no way you're getting a $1,400 Pixel this year, especially not with what we're expecting from the specs. Um, I, I would imagine, yeah, your, your base model Pixel may well be competing with uh, the iPhone XR around that sort of uh, maybe high 700s US dollar price point. Um, for the larger of the two, yeah, I would be amazed if the, the starting price was significantly higher than about 900. Maybe if there's like a crazy 512 storage version, it might be pushing past 1000, but you know. I don't think Google is even thinking about trying to sell a phone at the kind of price point that you uh, that you would pay for the top end uh, 10s uh, max. I'm I'm also not super sure that Google will will dive into the uh, the 512 version of the phone with this generation. I also yeah I think maybe two maybe 128 256. If yeah. they really want to push their luck, maybe they'll start the, the starting will still be 64, but we'll see. Before we uh, before we go and and dive into some of the other stuff that's happening this <laughs> the next couple of weeks because we still uh, you know we're we're kind of leaning into the Pixel event that's in uh, the beginning of October but that's that that is like not even the top of the list right now for cool stuff that's coming uh, I want to take just a couple minutes real quick and talk uh, Alex and, and Jerry you guys have heard about this uh, the new Lenovo smart display oh sure have. yeah so this thing it's it's uh, you know it takes Google Assistant to the next level. Uh, and it, it's it really is. It's my favorite new kitchen hub thing. You know, it sits in between uh, in between my stove and my sink, and and I've I found myself using it pretty much every day. Uh, that the song "Everything You Can Do, I Can Do Better." Uh, you know, and for for <laughs> anyone who's not seventy five, uh, maybe there's a another uh, song we could lean on, but I'm not going to go for that. Uh, that's, that's basically the smart display compared to Google home. You know, I have, I have several Google homes and, and I'm, I find myself using this one just way more. It does everything the smart speaker can do, but it adds all of these great options that, that just needed a screen, you know, using YouTube, making video calls with Google duo and, uh, and all of the recipes on the screen for, you know, for when I'm, I'm cooking in the kitchen. Uh, the, the two models that are available for this thing, the eight inch version is $199 and the 10 inch version is $249. Uh, the bigger one has that bamboo back that all of us, every single person here has just swooned over the mm-hmm. the bamboo back on the back of this thing. It's so good. Uh, if you head up to Android Central, we've written just a ton about the smart display so far because every one of us that's used it has loved it and found just something new to talk about. Uh, and how it's just, you know, it, it's better than a speaker. It's better than the Amazon Echo Show. And Google Assistant just shines on this thing. You, sh- you should definitely, in my opinion, pick one up for yourself. 
And yes, Lenovo is sponsoring this podcast, and they did write most of the words that I just said over the last couple of minutes, but they also made a really cool thing, uh, and, and it actually made this ad a lot easier to write. So do me a favor and grab a Lenovo Smart Display if, uh, if this is even remotely interesting to you. Uh, for the $199 price, if you can find the 10-inch uh, version for a little cheaper, you can probably also find one uh, for that 199 if you know where to look, and uh, you're not going to regret it. Absolutely. So many people use either a tablet or an old TV or whatever in the kitchen. Uh, this adds a whole bunch of extra functionality on top of that. Obviously, the Google Cast Target, with Google Assistant, all these other features, be able to watch videos. It works in landscape, portrait, two different sizes. Uh, and for the price, uh, I can't think of anything else that really uh, that really competes. Oh, yeah. And I so I just a side note, this is actually not a part of the ad. I, I love people who say, well, I'll just use a tablet in the kitchen. You know, I'll just use my Android tablet in the kitchen. I, I get it. Like I ha- was a guy who had the, the tablet in the kitchen every single day. Uh, it's just not the same. Like the speaker on this thing is so much louder and actually like gets louder than the stuff that I'm cooking in the kitchen. Uh, whereas none of the Android tablets that I used were, were capable of doing that. Because uh, I've done that about... before, and you'll have to you'll have to like get a he- set of wireless headphones or something because yeah. you just have a bunch of stuff going on, and the speaker isn't loud enough. It's a tiny little thing. Even even an iPad speaker, I find sometimes isn't enough. Yeah, to just sort not of quite overcome. loud enough. Yeah. yeah. Whereas the, the speaker on this thing is awesome. It's basically just as loud as as the full size Google Home, uh, and so it, that that alone just makes a huge difference having that. So like if if you have a tablet that you're already happy with, then then cool. You know, like use that in the kitchen. That's fine. I'm certainly not saying you know don't. But if you're asking yourself, well, why shouldn't I just buy a tablet instead of this thing? Like the the volume alone really is just a huge thing. And again, that was not part of the ad. That's just like having used both. It's just not even close to the same. You know what else isn't part of the ad? I went out and spent my own money and bought a second one. Yeah, it's true. And I am cheap. Ask anybody who knows me. <laughs> I'm cheap. So that that's how much I like it. Outside of our love fest for Lenovo... Uh, Alex, you are not too far from going to hang out with people at LG, aren't you? Uh, well, we'll have the, uh, we found out today we've got the LG uh, V40 launch event coming up in New York. So we'll, we'll have someone at that. Probably not me, <laughs> but uh, yeah. So this is LG's long-awaited successor, actual successor to the V30. Um, you know, forgetting the G7, forgetting uh, the V30 S Plus ThinQ, forgetting the V35S <laughs> and S Plus ThinQ uh, earlier in the year. This is the actual full-blooded successor to that. No, uh, really, and... we're serious this time. This is the successor. <laughs> and, and, and LG has kind of been reorganizing its mobile division over the past year. They've always sold decent numbers. They've always been a big presence in markets like Korea in the U.S., um, you know, they they shift phones in large numbers and they generally put out good products, but at the same time they've struggled to compete with Samsung in, in any meaningful way, um, you know, maybe outside of their home country. So uh, the big thing we're expecting this time around is pretty much cameras and display. So the display, generally you expect OLED in the V-series so you can have a thinner design with um, a similar battery size and a you know, really, really great looking display. Probably, based on the rumors, we're looking at a notch display this time. But more important than that, five cameras. Two on the front, three on the back. And this is a big deal for LG because they've always had, for the past couple of years, dual cameras, which you had your main lens and your wide angle. But actually, this time, uh, potentially, you have all three, which is kind of the holy grail of smartphone photography because you have that telephoto for getting a nice portrait shot. You have the... You know, for want of a better word, the regular angle, which is your typical smartphone 
um, uh, angle that you would you would just take a like a landscape shop or whatever, and the wide angle for you know trying to fit a little bit more in like a, a you know skyscraper or anything that just doesn't quite fit in a normal phone viewfinder. Instead, you know, instead of trying to awkwardly fit it into a panorama, you just hit a button, wide angle, press the shutter, and you're done. So this is a big deal. The V series has always been about content creation, uh, and now you have three lenses that actually give you a lot more um, leeway to to capture photo and video, regardless of, of where you are. You don't have to use the you know the so called leg zoom to to actually get further or further away for, from or closer to your subject. Just you know use either one of these three lenses. So I'm excited just for the the camera aspect of the V40, and uh, also because LG has been a little bit on the back burner this year. The V the G7. Uh, you know, wasn't really this this full flagship that it, that it used to be in the G series. Instead, LG is much more leaning on the the V series to to sort of uh, carry uh, the torch in that respect. So it's going to be interesting, and uh, the, we have the event coming up, I think, in New York on uh, the third of October. So uh, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what they can bring. Do you think they did this whole jump in before the Pixel thing on purpose? I don't, I don't know. Uh, I mean, maybe. I think it's. Because it's not like they usually do the pre-order immediately after. LG usually waits a couple weeks for a pre-order, so we'll probably be able to order a Pixel before ordering this anyway. So I'm not even sure that it matters. It just, yeah, I mean, it depends on on if they've learned the lesson of last year, because they went very early last year. Last year, they announced at IFA, and then it was like two months before we could actually buy one. Um, so hopefully, from that perspective, you know, may, maybe you're going to be able to get in before the Pixel. Maybe not, but... Um, yeah, we'll, we'll just have to wait and see. That's the sensible thing for them to do, I think, to have a very, very short period of time between the announcement and when you can actually buy it. That's been the mistake that LG has made time and time again over the past year or so. Well, I, I think it's also important to their PR people that there's going to be a few days where every word written on smartphone blogs is going to be LG because that's what's going on while we wait for the next thing to happen in a few days. So... I can see why they, you know, if, I'm not saying they did it, I don't know, but why they would have tried to rush things to get it out just before any competitor. The cynic in me also wants to say that the way LG tends to handle review devices is you show up, you get it at the event, and what is seven days later in the same city, you know, everyone go to that Google event is also going to have a V40 in their other pocket. Yeah, Uh, There are going to be so many from the event comparisons between LG's new phone on Google's new phone, and that point. is a lot of smart publicity for them, I think. Yeah, and a yeah, lot I of like pictures that. taken with their new phone. Absolutely, and there couldn't be a um, a starker contrast between Google's new phone with one rear camera and LG's new phone, likely yeah. with three new camera, uh, three rear cameras. But, so you know, many cameras on the back of these phones. Every time an LG phone comes out, especially a V series phone, a little part of me gets excited. Is this the year they're finally gonna? Just blow us out of the water with the display. I know all three of us, and I know a lot of people listening, have seen LG's high-end televisions. Oh, they're awesome. And mm-hmm. what they can do with organic LEDs, it's unreal. There's got to be some way to get some of that you know, DNA into a smartphone. And once they do it, Samsung has an actual competitor. Yeah, I don't think a lot of people realize like especially like what you're saying about the televisions because a lot of people like you walk the the floor of a best buy and all of these tvs are all right next to each other in a a room that's not particularly well lit and 
Uh, you know, so it's in, they all come from like cloned input sources. So the input yeah. going into the television isn't usually like an, an isolated. Yeah. Right. So it's, it it's all like kind of weird, but like in your, when you're in an actual like theater testing environment, which I, I am fortunate enough to be near uh, pretty frequently, the difference between a, a brand new LG TV and a brand new Samsung TV that are like the same price, the same basic price for the same generation is so ridiculously different. Like they, like LG's, they're like they're they're the the quality of their high end televisions right now just crush Samsung, and so it's it's been so weird for years now to see that the reverse is true on their phones, and so I'm I'm, I'm totally with you on this. I, I imagine there's people who work at a TV blog that wish the exact opposite. This is the oh, year yeah, Samsung yeah, sure. TVs are going to be the winner. Yeah, uh, I mean, the interesting thing to point out is supposedly Pixel 3 XL, um, the real Pixel 3 XL, not the non-existent one, is going <laughs> to ship with a notched LG display uh, around a similar size to what we're expecting from the LG V40. So it may very well be the case that it is the exact same panel or, or an almost identical panel that we get in these two phones. Um, so yeah, we'll we'll have to see. You would assume that a year on, LG's learned a lot of lessons from the problems of, of POLED last year, like crushing blacks at, uh, at low brightness levels and the issues that we had around blue shift when you kind of uh, uh, tilt it uh, off axis. Surely with a year's development and uh, you know manufacturing enhancements, surely that is those are going to be some of the things they're focusing on and, and surely we'll see a, a very noticeable difference. Well, you got to figure Google is going to have something to say to LG on their end. Uh, after just all of the stories from the three X, the two XL last year, mm-hmm. that I, I imagine there was probably some kind of adjustment to the contract for quality or something. I'm, I hope we hear more about displays that. need to not suck. <laughs> I, I, you know what? I'll, I'll come right out and say it that the majority of the problems last year was quality control. Because yeah, well, we I have had seen that a, podcast. I've seen a Pixel two XL that was absolutely beautiful. Yeah, and I the the one I had in my hands. I would not spend my money on it. It sucked. So the first Pixel 2 XL that I had, my first review unit before Google replaced it, noticeably different colors compared to the second unit they gave me. And well, that one I had burn-in of... too, didn't it? Your, it your did. first I mean, one? The, se- the second one kind of had burn-in as well, but to a lesser extent. Um, but you also hear stories about um, later production runs of that phone also having noticeably better colors, noticeably less grain, and you know the issue yeah. with blue shift not being as notable, uh, noticeable as well. So obviously there's been some enhancement just on on that manufacturing line over the past year, and it probably probably bodes well for both of these two phones uh, this year going forward. Yeah, I hope so. I think that'd be very cool to to get some additional details on that. Uh, we also we keep we have this like steady trickle of leaks, or yeah. I guess they're not leaks so much as, as stuff coming directly from the uh, from the team. Uh, I guess calling them leaks is bad uh, for the OnePlus Six T. Uh, sure. You know the the One Plus Six is uh, is still a, a pretty popular phone, but the Six T has uh, has given people quite a, a number of reasons to to kind of talk over the last couple of weeks. We just heard earlier today uh, that there's not going to be a headphone jack in this phone, uh, and that's and not crushed. N- uh, yeah, it's it's not great news, but it's certainly not surprising. What did surprise me was the was last week we didn't talk about this. Uh, that the phone is uh, is going to have you know one of these full body displays with a with a notch up top, um, but also a, an in display fingerprint sensor, which is either good or bad. And just because yeah. the track the track record of these things is so mixed, uh, the only phone I've used with in screen fingerprint has been the 
the Huawei Mate RS, uh, this $2,600 crazy pants phone from a few months back. Uh, and yeah, <laughs> a measure of how bad this was and how bad they knew it was is because they also included rear fingerprint on the back. <laughs> so, wow. um, yeah, it, w- it was slow. It wasn't accurate. Uh, it was just a bad experience in general. So there are three ways to unlock it. You could either use rear fingerprint, in-screen fingerprint, or face unlock. Uh, I, beyond setting it up and playing with it, never used in-screen fingerprint. It was bad. Some of these early uh, optical in-screen fingerprint sensors were not good. Supposedly, there have been improvements since then. Uh, over the summer, I was speaking to Harish, who's reviewed some uh, Vivo phones since then, which actually have vastly improved uh, in-screen fingerprint using similar technology. You'd imagine that's probably what OnePlus would be using. And, you know, given given where the company is now in terms of the, the general quality of their products, you would hope they would be able to avoid any, any quality issues uh, in a phone as important as the 6T. But, you know, wait and see. I'm excited. Like, just, I think... Not not that OnePlus is doing it. I just like the concept behind this technology. Jerry, correct me if I'm wrong. This is this is an optical sensor that is behind the the uh, the LEDs that is is grabbing basically a picture of your finger through those LEDs. In but but like with the object being the the same basic quality as a normal fingerprint sensor. Yeah, that's that's the way that you know, we have seen in the past, I assume it's going to be the same. It, uh, it doesn't actually look through the LEDs. It can get enough data in between the LEDs, but yeah, it just takes a high contrast, you know, image of the reflection of that. The LEDs put on your fingerprint. I think that's so cool. Just, just from a technical perspective, like that, that's a neat thing. I, you know, and, and yeah, well, we've seen, you know, we've seen versions of this fail pretty dramatically so far. Um, but I'm excited that, that OnePlus is doing it because name a company that is willing to try anything and yeah. OnePlus is going to be on that list. And this is how you get tech like this to work. You get a company that's willing to just go for it because even if it's not perfect, we can make it perfect in the, in the long run. Um, a part of the technical problem, a technical issue that has worked against companies like Apple and companies like Samsung including this in an iPhone or a Galaxy S or a Galaxy Note. It's been uh, yields. It's been be able to source yeah. enough of these at a high enough quality to be able to ship it in a phone that um, ships in, say, the high tens or hundreds of millions of units. That's not where OnePlus is. So they can afford maybe to uh, buy fewer of these, to not have to rely on having a massive supply of these just to be able to um, you know, meet the, the basic requirements uh, that they need to, to ship in their phone. So. Um, yeah, it doesn't surprise me that OnePlus is is one of the companies that's doing this, and uh, you know, hopefully, the quality is just uh, is is good enough, the accuracy is good enough, and the speed is good enough that you don't notice uh, a note a downgrade compared to where we were uh, in the past year or so with with rear fingerprint. Also, kind of telling that OnePlus was one of the first to jump on board with uh, face unlock, and when they did that, it was really good. So you still have a backup there, even if it's a little bit slower than what we're used to using. Yeah, I I think it'd be cool. I'm excited. I think this is OnePlus's year. I want OnePlus to just pull out all the stops. Like like, you know, show off how cool this phone is, give me multiple colors at launch, you know, exactly. we we heard that it's coming to uh T-Mobile, like to be available in T-Mobile stores. Uh, you know, so it, it would be even cooler if T-Mobile was not the only vendor, like if they managed to secure more than one US carrier for uh for launch. Um, yeah, I think you're right. I think this could be OnePlus's year to to like actually push through and become something resembling mainstream. 
this is the this is the year for it. I think their 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 biggest thing that they're going to be able to do this year is people who were looking at the Pixel. OnePlus is giving you the same style of software, the same style of phone, and it's going to be several hundred dollars cheaper. I honestly, I, like the Pixel is is one. I think if they've got it on shelves in stores, I think this is something that attracts people away from this this base level iPhone. Maybe mm-hmm. uh, because when you're looking at seven hundred and fifty dollars for the base model of this phone, the six T is probably not going to get that high or if it no. does it'll be exactly that high it doesn't have gigantic bezels it doesn't have gigantic bezels like sitting these two phones side by side on a shelf uh you know you're the people who aren't automatically in the apple ecosystem people who are willing to consider something else i i think this is what pulls people away uh and and you know t-mobile is a is a carrier that you know the the teams in all of those stores they always know what they're talking about you know, so when people go, okay, well, what other options do I have? Like they're they're going to answer. And given the the new relationship with OnePlus, it wouldn't shock me to see them be excited about pushing this other phone. Uh, so I I'm yeah I'm I'm pretty excited about the potential there. I think what's also worth mentioning, we talk about this be, being the year of OnePlus, and I I would definitely one hundred percent agree with that in terms of like the quality, of the products, the the press they've had this year. Another important thing is just how they've avoided any high profile screw ups this year. Yeah. Uh, if you look at where we were last year with you know credit card details leaking, um, with not being able to stream Netflix in HD, I'm sure there mm. were some other high-profile blunders that they had that uh, I can't remember right this second. But this was always the thing with OnePlus. They would have generally good-looking, good, good products, especially since the 3 and 3T, but it would be sort of balanced by all these high-profile PR missteps. I think what's significant this year is what we haven't heard in you know what we haven't had to write about because they haven't screwed up in 2018 yet there's still time but they (laughs) haven't screwed up in 2018 yet and so what you hear about oneplus is just the quality of the product and hey it's a month after the um the release of android pi and there's a pretty stable beta version chances are end of october um if if not sooner we'll have a oneplus 6t which will be shipping on android pi before pretty much anyone else has been able to update. Um, that, yeah. again, is significant. Yeah, I think all around this is going to be a pretty big deal. I'm I'm perhaps more excited about this phone than I am the Pixels, but only because like I kind of feel like I already know what to expect from the Pixels. Mm-hmm. Whereas the... Or do you? Or do you? Or do I? That's right. <laughs> let's let's, We're just let's address that, that for a moment. Let's let's address the conspiracy theories, and I'll I'll, I'll let Russell... Um, oh, we had fun I with think. this last week, and I'm, yeah. I'm sad that you weren't here to, uh, oh. to add your take to it. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, we're aside from the fact that I think we've spoken to people and just confirmed that this is BS. I don't know. I, it's... Here's what's going to happen: we're the the Pixel event is going to start. Uh, you know, we're going to get this uh, this two minute video clip with a whole bunch of people talking about the Pixel. Uh, some of it's going to be good. Some of it's going to be bad. Some of it's going to be funny. We're, we're like, you know, Google's going to go kind of around the table, around the world. We're going to have a bunch of different, very short clips of people talking about stuff. Uh, and then they're going to come up on stage and, and they're going to be like, wow, so we've clearly got your guys' attention. This is the thing that we're we're unveiling. And then Sundar's going to yank the fake case off and say, <laughs> boom, gotcha, suckers. I, I you know, I, I think that's what what's going to happen here. Right? You know, and it's it's consistent with their vision in the past. 
Uh, you know, it's it's not particularly outlandish. We're not going to have people jumping out of blimps to uh, to to land on top of a building in New York to to deliver a phone <laughs> to us. Uh, nobody's going to be tearing across a campus. Uh, are you with... are you saying that we're not going to have Sundar standing up on stage and saying um, and explaining how they they leaked a thousand of these to the Ukrainian mafia to to throw everyone off the off the scent? No, is that not how it's going to work? I mean, honestly, I think that would be a story that Sundar would tell very well. I think that would be well worth listening to. I think Hiroshi probably <laughs> would be a bit better suited, but yeah. Yeah. But no, that's definitely not how this is going to go down. There's, I don't expect any big changes simply because Google likes their product. Yeah. The, oh, the yeah. Pixel 2 was exactly what they wanted it to be. I said before, they think they can charge whatever they like. And it's because they think that phone is amazing. Why change it? And the other thing we didn't uh, we didn't actually talk about now that we we actually drifted into the Pixel stuff, Jerry, is uh, the stuff that leaked for the new Pixelbook. Yeah, I. It was. It's slim. It's not much. Yeah, I, uh, I but, don't expect a new Pixelbook. No. In, in October, no, I just don't. I so the only reason that I I wouldn't. Like, the only reason that I'm not totally behind you on this, and you're probably right, but the only reason that I wouldn't be totally behind you is how excited they were about what they could do with more stuff with the Pixelbook uh, at Google I.O. Uh, and I sat, I think I was the only one of the team who sat at the at the fireside chat, because uh, you guys were in the press room just listening. But I sat there as people in the audience badgered. All everyone on stage from the Android team about what they were doing about tablets. I was I was there for that. Actually, it was pretty funny. So you didn't you wouldn't it have seen this because you weren't you weren't in the press room. But when that tab when those tablet questions were asked, the slowly there was like a small huddle of journalists that appeared yeah. that sort of congregated around the TV because everyone wanted to see what Dave Burke would say about that. Turned out oh, absolutely and nothing. His, but, his answers sucked. Yeah, like yeah. Dave Burke is a very eloquent individual. He, you know, he's usually very good at kind of deflecting uh, when he needs to, and and or just answering questions directly when he can. And his answers for all of that were terrible. Yeah, and and all came back to, uh, well, we think the Pixel Book is pretty great, so that's the thing that we're focusing on right now. But you know, ob- objectively, the Pixel Book is not a tablet. Like even if you flip it over in that tablet mode, it's still pretty heavy. And and not all that comfortable to use when unless you're like sitting still, uh, and and having a design where the keyboard comes off, especially given the direction Chrome OS is going with Android tablets or with Android apps, just makes a lot more sense. It's coming. I, I mean, you just we don't have think it's known, coming in October. We we have known that a detachable screen Chromebook made by Google has been in the works. God, this is like the second or third version of it that we've seen and and literally this time we've actually seen pictures but if you look in the the source code they, it's all open and, and out in the open for anybody to look through this isn't the first detachable chromebook that google has worked on right this one looks like it's actually been manufactured because you know it showed up in that what was it a facebook ad uh it's 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 coming it's definitely coming and it needs to be coming I just don't think it's coming next month. I know this isn't a popular thing because they're like I, I catch heat for this every time I bring it up, but I, I wish they would just refresh the Pixel C. Uh, and some of that is because I've been using uh, as my primary computer for the last couple of weeks while traveling. I've been using the Surface Go, uh, and I love that thing. 
I did not expect to. I was ready to hate on this thing when when I picked it up. <laughs> and it's so good. It you know, it like it's the perfect size for the kind of work that I do. The keyboard is really nice. The you know, it, it's just fun to to carry around. And I would love a Chrome OS version of that. Uh, because it would be more in step with with the stuff that I do every day. HP makes one that you would just die for then. I've HP right makes here. one that's close. I I have touched the HP one and it's it's not far. I just don't dig HP's keyboard. Okay, I can feel that. Yeah. Thing, that's the only thing that stopped me from from picking one of those up was I, I wasn't I didn't love typing on that thing. And I've always liked the keyboards that have come on the Pixel uh, lineup. The the you know the the Pixel Books keyboard is mm-hmm. really nice. The Pixel C keyboard I didn't mind. I think I was actually the only person on the team that didn't mind it. Uh, you know, but. Uh, yeah, so I, I like what Google has done with keyboard hardware when they are the ones kind of driving the ship. Uh, and so like a, a smaller, a, you know, slightly smaller than the Pixelbook that had a detachable keyboard, I would I would give that some serious consideration for throwing some money at it after using the, the Surface Go. You know what? So would I. Uh, shoot, a 10-inch Chrome tablet with a good keyboard? Yeah, I'd be on board. <sighs> Make it now. I'll buy the first one. Meanwhile, Alex is just judging the hell out of both of us. I don't know. I, look, I'm, I'm, I'm on board with Google doing anything meaningful in the tablet space. I think the, the Pixel Book was a little bit too much of a laptop for my needs. I already, because the amount of video work I do, I already have a gigantic brick of a laptop that, that allows me to do that. Um, I would be absolutely on board with a, a refreshed Pixel C running Chrome OS. Uh, it doesn't quite look like that's what we're getting this time around, and I would you could very well imagine that they would maybe go around the Pixel C kind of route when they announce this. So maybe it is announced at the event, but then it's like you can't really buy it until early December oh, yeah. or something. Okay, maybe I could see them doing yeah. that. Um, well, yeah, because the Pixel Book wasn't wasn't a launch thing. We didn't get it until a little later either. Yeah, because I remember past- doing the video with Jerry later than we did yeah. the Pixel stuff. Yeah, yeah it, it was, was it was delayed a little bit. A month or at least, yeah. But uh, I don't so, know. I, wait and see. I, I've, I've always loved what Google's done with Chromebooks made in-house. So anything they do, I'm going to be interested in. And this is, you know what? I don't want to see it until it's right. I don't care if I don't see it in October. Make this perfect, Google, because we've been waiting for it. Yeah, I think it would be cool. The very last thing that I want to bring up before we split, because we're actually already over an hour uh, for for this podcast, while I was in San Francisco, I went with uh, with with Mr. Mobile uh, to the offices of the June Oven people. I'm not sure if either of you have heard of this. Uh, it is it is a smart oven, which I was ready to roll my eyes at. Uh, but it is it's a it's a kitchen appliance. It's you know it's a one square foot kind of internal appliance, and it has this little screen on the front that runs a Ooh, whole bunch I of different. Oh, I know what you're talking uh, about. Tools. Yes, yeah. So I, want I went. One. I went and spent a few minutes. This, the, the CEO of the company uh, sat down with Fisher and I and, and made a steak in the oven. Uh, <laughs> you know, like It was like 13 minutes that he made this medium rare steak to perfection in this oven. And uh, I was blown away by how good it was. Like this, this thing, it's, a, you know, it's, it's not cheap. The it's steak a, you know, or the, the oven? The steak, it was great. Uh, you know, it's, uh, you, you know, and it's all internal sensors, right? So the, like the inside of this oven has... Uh, its own sensors for measuring what the the temperature of the center of the oven is and what the sides of the oven are. And it has probes that you actually plug into the side of the inside of the oven uh, and then plug into uh, whatever thing you're cooking, if it's protein, if it's vegetables or anything like that. So it's it's gaining data from 
uh, you know, both the outside of the food and the inside of the food. It has a weird fisheye camera up in the top of the uh, of the <laughs> oven so that you can see the food as it's cooking through the app on your phone. Uh, and it gives you kind of this like step by step. It t- I think it takes a photo every like minute and a half or something. And so it gives you this like time lapse of the of the food cooking when it's done, uh, which is totally unnecessary, but 100% the kind of thing that people are going to share to Instagram. <laughs> uh, and uh, what I learned at the at the shop, something that they, they don't talk about um, for a couple of reasons, is that the oven is entirely built on Android. Uh, wow. All of the all of the underlying software stuff is built on top of uh, on top of the Android platform. Why not? Uh, actually, I mean, that's yeah. kind of funny because the I, I, I guess a distant relative of, of this thing uh, that I saw many years ago, I think like five years ago now, was Decor's very first Android powered oven, which uh, doesn't sound like anywhere near as impressive as as what right. you saw. But was was essentially just a regular oven with a display bolted onto the front, running oh, yeah. Yeah, uh, no, this I, ice cream sandwich or something like that. Uh, so <laughs> I bet that was uh, awesome. It, it it was look. It was yeah. It was a dumb display running Android in the front of an oven. That uh, yeah, you had touch controls to do oven things. This sounds like yeah. a much a much more fully fleshed out uh, iteration of that idea. It was yeah, it's super cool, and like the thing that drives it right is that it's you know it's it's a ton of information on the inside, and it's actually using the the camera for some neat machine learning stuff. Jerry, you'll appreciate this when uh, uh, when you put bacon in this thing, you put you know maybe six strips of bacon in this thing, and and tell the oven that you're cooking bacon. The camera actually counts how many strips of bacon there are, and uses that in factoring how how long it needs to cook. Uh, all, you know, just straight up machine learning stuff. Like it just goes, you know, okay, there's, there's this many strips of bacon. So you need, you know, 10 minutes instead of eight minutes. And does it mock you for not putting enough bacon in there? If you only put six <laughs> no, pieces no. In? no, but like a big part of that, as he was explaining was, was using this machine learning stuff to decrease the number of steps in, in programming. So like when you, uh, when you go to set the oven, you know, you, the, you know, any other thing like this, uh, that was made by any other company would would be like you know okay well I want to do bacon and it'll say okay how many strips of bacon are in there how you know how, is it chewy bacon or is it thick bacon or you know and ask you a bunch of yeah. these questions and that would you know slows down the process and just isn't very fun and the way that this thing does uh, machine learning to to kind of count the bacon and measure the bacon as close as it can and and kind of give you that information. I thought it was incredibly valuable. And if anybody who's cooked bacon in the oven, especially a smaller, I call this a toaster oven. Yeah, it, it is. It's a little bit bigger than that. But it matters how many pieces yeah. you put in there. So, And like they're constantly updating this thing. Uh, I feel like I'm doing another ad, but I'm not. This is just a really cool thing that I found uh, as, as I was talking to this guy. It started out, it had like two or three kind of generic oven settings. But as they've continued to grow, they can just software push uh, new features to it. So like they added a whole like slow cooker palette, uh, to it for, for oh. cooking it at uh, long, you know, long temperature stuff. Um, it, they added an air fryer, uh, to it. That was like no extra hardware. It just, it uses the convection fans in it more intelligently. So you put stuff in a basket instead of a rack and it air fries it, uh, you know, using, uh, using the, the convection fans that are in there. And it's just stuff that they've software added, uh, over time. Uh, because it's it's just all over the air stuff that they just they just push an over the air update and it's all like if you agree to let them access like your permissions and stuff then it's just there when you wake up the next day and he said that uh, as I was talking to the CEO he said a whole bunch of their customers uh, just let them OTA stuff overnight and so people literally woke up the next day and had a slow cooker function added that just straight up wasn't there the day before. Do you, I I I've only ever seen a, a video presentation about it that uh 
when when it first came out, they were sending out. So I didn't get to see a lot of this cool software stuff, but I was impressed that it has a an HD amplifier and plays high definition audio through speakers it, somewhere. It can, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it does stuff. You know, they're uh, uh, it already works with Amazon Echo. They're they're looking at Google Assistant integration as well uh, for for just like you know, hey, how long you know, how much longer do I have on this thing that I'm cooking or, or you this, know, something like that? It, it runs on the uh, the Tegra, right? I'm trying to remember where I didn't where actually I, ask what the internal processor well, was, but I'm uh, pretty sure it's the the same processor that's in the the Shield TV and and Nvidia. Yeah. Nvidia sells a board for people to take and build products just like this. I just thought, like, I was amazed. I was so ready to roll my eyes at this thing. <laughs> I was like, oh, cool, a smart oven. That's totally fact, what we I'm going to look that up. Uh, but it was great, and it did. Uh, as it was, as he was cooking the steak, um, it measured. Uh, like it did the external sear and then it turned the oven on and it, it did a rest in the middle, like inside the oven. Uh, where like everything just shut off for a second and it rested for two minutes before turning back on. Uh, which is like the, the correct way to cook that uh, that particular cut of meat. It was really cool. I was I, I have not geeked out about a kitchen appliance in a, quite a while, much less one that was legitimately running Android. So that was a thing that I was excited about. I, I, I've got the tech specs for this thing in front of me here. It's got an NVIDIA Tegra K1. Uh, oh, okay. Two gigs of RAM and an actual SSD, user-removable 8-gigabyte tiny SSD. Super excited that I know how much RAM is in my oven. That's Hey. <laughs> no, I, but, uh, I, like, I, you know, I say that snarkingly, but that is a cool thing. Like, that's... It, it can recognize and automatically cook 65 different foods. Yeah, it was a big thing that they were talking oh, about. They, like, they, you buy the oven... Uh, I think it's like $500 for like the base model of the oven, or you can get the extended model that gives you like a subscription to their cookbook thing. But their cookbook is all like working with professional chefs to build automated recipes for stuff. So like you put in a certain cut of steak or, or, uh, like a zucchini or something and you say, Hey, you know, I want this, this zucchini thing. And it just kind of up and does it, or you can just go and build your own profiles for stuff. Uh, and then you just have it on the app. So you put stuff in, you know, like if you prefer bacon a little crispier or something like that, then you can just hit a button that says Jerry's bacon. Uh, and and oh, it just please, automatically knows. Please put a button on everybody's oven that says Jerry's Bay. <laughs> also our show title right there. That's right. That should be the show title. Uh, uh, the other thing uh, that I, I forgot that they added over time was a dehydrator setting. Uh, so that you can you can put stuff in and, and it just, you know, it, like I said, it uses the convection fans and some intelligent heat stuff and, and it acts as a long term dehydrator. It was just it was just very cool. I was very excited by how this thing I was ready to roll my eyes out turned out to be something that I really kind of want in my house now. I'm very I, I know what I want for Christmas again. <laughs> I want everything for Christmas, though. All right, so like I said, we've uh, we've gone over an hour, and there's only so long that I can uh, talk about kitchen appliances before I get nasty emails. Uh, so, Jerry, you up to anything fun this weekend? No, I'm got a lot of stuff to catch up on here at that. Yeah, house, where so. where can people find you catching up on stuff? Uh, you can see me on Twitter. It's at gbhil. Please be nice, <laughs> Alex. What are you up to? Uh, I will have some interesting stuff going on, um, but not really much that I can talk about yet. So uh, follow me on all the things uh, on Twitter's at Alex Dobie, also Instagram. And uh, yeah, we'll see what pops up there. 
cool. And I'm I'm going to try my hardest to take naps uh, and then beat the new Spider-Man game on PlayStation uh, this weekend. So if you care about the new Spider-Man game, I'll probably be talking about it over at Russell Holly on Twitter. Uh, and that should be it for us. This is, like I said, episode uh, 367. We still have no idea what exciting thing we're going to do for episode 400, but I'm going to try really hard to make everyone come up with something. So uh, if you have suggestions, be sure to hit us up uh, for something cool we can do, and we will do our best to do it. Otherwise, uh, have a good day. Adios. See you later.